the people that we're traveling with, like, we're all on the same circuit. We're all mm-hmm. playing the same tour stops. So we see the same people every single weekend. Mm-hmm. It's like the biggest road trip with friends yeah. you could ever imagine. Yeah. <laughs> we just see our friends in a different city to hang out in every single week. It's it's really fun. I don't really consider not being in the RV. Even when I think about, quote unquote, having a home base, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's like a nice RV park by the water. <laughs> I don't know. We're just kind of embracing it. And that's just who we are at this point. Hey, this is Heath Padgett and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 138. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and today's episode, I'm interviewing Tina Stenitis and Eric Oakley. Tina and Eric are full-time RVers and professional disc golfers who also run a company called Whale Sacks. They make tie-on grip bags that help you to dry your hands while playing disc golf. Probably the coolest, funniest, like, make-you-laugh title of a company that I've ever heard. They travel from disc golf tournaments to compete and uh, earn conference winnings, just like you do in regular golf. And they also sell these products while on site. A few things that we talk about in today's episode is how Tina went from working eight years as a bank teller to traveling full-time, getting rid of debt, and playing professional disc golf. How Eric and Tina are able to make significantly more than other disc golfers and increase their financial runway by focusing on diversifying the way that they make money on the road. They don't just win tournaments. They uh, make whale sacks. I'm sorry, I can't say it without laughing. It's hilarious. They make whale sacks and they do several other things working with brands. So we talk about all these different areas and their approach to how they're able to diversify their income on the road and how they've been able to leverage their RV travel as a way to get rid of debt and spend more time doing what they love, playing disc golf. This conversation with Eric and Tina is a great example of what I've heard echoed for so many others who decide to go travel full-time in RV, which is Living and traveling full-time in RV isn't because you just love living in a small space and it's not just all about, you know, living minimalist and all of that. It's it's more about, for a lot of the people that I've talked to, RVing being the vehicle that takes them to where they want to go. As for Eric and Tina, it's getting to disc golf tournaments. For Kathy and Peter Holcomb, it's getting closer to nature, getting closer to the water so they can go out and document and take professional photos for the brands they work with and um, and getting Abby, their daughter, out in the water so they can kayak. And so, and for us, it's now, it's closely aligned for us as well with campground booking and we're going from place to place and uh, selling our software to campground. So a lot, of, in a lot of ways, that's kind of a theme that I've seen emerge on this podcast is that Yes, maybe the original goal was to live small and get out, see nature. But for a lot of people, it's it kind of gets more intertwined than that. It becomes a vehicle for them to that furthers enable their passion and what they want to do for a living. So kind of neither here nor there. It's just something that I, I personally took away from this podcast. So I wanted to share with you guys. Before we jump into today's episode, a quick word from today's sponsor, the Stories from the Road podcast. One of my favorite parts about RVing is sitting with other people and just sharing stories. The good, the bad, the hilarious. The Stories from the Road podcast talks to RVers from all walks of life and what led them to the RV lifestyle, the things they like, the things they don't like, and where they see themselves going in the future. The conversations are heartfelt and funny, and if you're any kind of RVer yourself, and you probably are since you listen to The RV Entrepreneur, you'll identify with a lot of what you hear. That's Stories from the Road podcast, and it's available in iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and everywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. All right, let's get into today's episode with Eric and Tina. Thanks for being on the podcast with me, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So you guys are hanging out in Santa Cruz right now, our kind of old stomping grounds. I can say that because we lived there for like three months, so I kind of claim it. But 
where, where did this story start for you guys? Like, how did y'all kind of hear and start thinking we're going to go live in an RV? And I know at some point y'all stories kind of merged, but like, I guess kind of start at some of the beginning of both of y'all side of the story and kind of catch us up to speed on like how you guys are traveling around and playing disc golf professionally in an RV right now. Um, yeah, I'll start. I guess I started the RV life first. <laughs> I was living in Portland, Oregon and working at a bank for, I don't know, I was a banker for eight years, eight and a half years. Um, but rent there is really expensive. So I started to look into other options. I'd always wanted to, you know, be an independent liver and not like have to stay in one place. And originally it was a good way to cut my rent in like a quarter and save up money so I could eventually quit my job and do anything else. <laughs> so I bought a travel trailer and parked it at my friend's house in Portland, but it was still stationary. But it was still kind of like an introduction to tiny house living. Um, I bought a 27-footer, which now seems really big to me. <laughs> and then it was kind of one day the professional world championship came to Portland, Oregon while I was living there. And I was sitting at work watching the professional women play my courses, and I was miserable at the bank. <laughs> and so it was kind of that day I just decided I was going to pay off all my debt and save up enough to be able to travel full time. I'd wanted a, any job at all that could put me on the road. I was looking at flight attendants, but they didn't really make enough money, and you still had this stuck schedule. So. I've always wanted to travel and do it all the time and just the traditional life that Americans kind of form to was just not for me. And I mean, I think if people really sit back and think about it, they'll realize how crappy it can be <laughs> just having to work so many hours and for two weeks of vacation every year that just I didn't want to do that anymore. So you were playing, you, were you like a hobby disc golf player at the time? Totally. It wasn't until I moved to Portland that I really discovered competitive disc golf. I'd played super casually, and then there's like a ladies league there, and they kind of picked me up. And then I started competing, and then I found out about the professional championship and all that. So I wasn't even close to being a professional, but it was something that I knew I could or I wanted to aspire to be, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Eric? Well, my start came um, whenever I had moved moved away from Dallas-Fort Worth and ended up landing in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I got sponsored by a different disc company um, at the time. <clears throat> and I you know, showed enough drive to work for them. And they actually had an RV that they sent out to run events and you know, uh, transport their top professional players. And stuff like that. So I ended up got, getting into like the event organizing, and I got to play myself. And I started to establish, you know, more of my, uh, myself as a player along along the ride. Um, and that's, you know, that first year, whenever I was on the road, was whenever I got to meet Tina at the United States uh, Women's Disc Golf Championships, uh, which is the women's major event. And I decided to go there uh, just to support women, and I ended up, you know, meeting probably the best person ever. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And then fast forward a little bit later, I ended up, you know, cutting ties with that company just because we, uh, 
they wanted a little bit more of an employee and I wanted to be more of a player. And that's kind of where the separation happened. And at that point, Tina had bought her my first motorhome, the motorhome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it kind of made sense. It was kind of like, Hey, I'm going to come live with you now. And, and then it's, and then we haven't stopped living with each other since, which is pretty crazy. So it's, and, it's been easy to enjoy the sport and get better, especially when you have like a support system. The moment you're done with your round, you're at your home, you get to see your lady and everything, everything just seems to be better. So the funny thing about Eric's first experience with the RV when he was with uh, Discmania, mm-hmm. it wasn't his RV and they didn't tell him anything about it. They were like, here, go drive this thing. And, I was learning on the fly. Like, yeah. I didn't know how to run the generator. I didn't even know that there was. I didn't know anything about it. I knew that the I all I knew that because they had ripped out a bunch of stuff for storage, yeah, so they didn't exactly. have a kitchen or or a bathroom or anything. Uh, so it was just beds and you know places to be. So I knew the fridge ran on propane. And that was about it. And I didn't know how to uh, turn on the microwave because <laughs> I didn't know how to all. run the generator. <laughs> so it was a really didn't funny, even know how to plug it in. Like yeah. We had to teach him a lot, <laughs> and it was it worked out because it was a lot of a lot of boondocking and, and whatnot. So I stayed at you know Flying J's, Pilots, all that stuff, WalMarts, and and, and then houses. and then some friends' houses. With yeah. it ended up being not the not not the worst situation, but has made me appreciate the the amenities that we have now on our own RV. So, so you met Tina, and she was playing, I presume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the cool part. Is I met Eric right the week after I quit my job, I think, or the mm-hmm. week after I was done with my job. So I just started touring as an amateur just because I paid off all my debt, saved up enough money. And, uh, that's kind of where whale sacks comes into the picture. Cause I was finally making some income outside of the bank. So mm-hmm. I was able to quit. And that was my first tournament on the road that I met Eric at. That's awesome. So you met, you met this girl and she's playing disc golf, this game that Mm -hmm. you love and she's traveling Mm -hmm. around in an RV and you know, she's got a home. She basically seems like she's kind of got it all figured out, paid off her debt. And you're just like, I'm going to (laughs) hop in and this seems like a good deal. Yeah. She surprises me more every day, but at the time it was like, man, I just want to learn everything about this person. So it was a no brainer at that point to kind of just kind of, I may maybe overly pursue it. Yeah, you got a cute face, so I guess it worked out. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, Tina, so going back to your story, I, I I saw in an Ask Me Anything video I was watching before this that I, I saw that you were a banker, or I read it somewhere. I didn't realize you were a banker for eight years. That's a pretty long yeah. time to kind of like <laughs> give it all up and and go jump into this thing. Uh, so talk me through that transition a little bit. I want to like get back to where you guys are today, but going through that. So you were a banker for eight years, started getting the travel bug, want to be able to do your own thing. So how did you start figuring out, like walking through the process? Like did you saved up money and decided to quit? And then you're also building up skills as a disc golfer during that time. And then at some point you started well sack. So like what was kind of the progression of events that happened? Um, well, I mean, I've always wanted to travel, but disc golf really did kind of spark that bug because when you start to play, you want to just play all these new courses and you want to take a day trip on the weekend to go to some course you've never played and explore and add to your course list of what you've played. And so that's kind of what really, really sparked my want to travel. And I didn't really care how I got there. And it 
at first I didn't really think about disc golf being how I could travel for disc golf. It was such a hobby at that point, but it kind of like just burned this fuel for me. But um, I was a banker in Minnesota and then in Oregon. And yeah, I did it for a really long time. But that's a lot of why I'm uh, business savvy and I'd say pretty good with finances. (laughs) So I guess when I was at the bank, I was just going crazy. (laughs) It was just, I didn't want to sit at work every day and I'd just wait for that clock to turn and run to the course after work every day. And uh, I guess whale snacks came into the picture right at the right time. I was trying to make as much money as I could to pay off my debt so I could do anything else. And I didn't know what that anything else would be yet, but it was really just a fun little hobby. My grandma taught me how to sew when I was young and I was making dresses in the winter and when you couldn't go outside because Portland just rains constantly (laughs) in the winter. Yeah. So I came up with my first one. I still have it somewhere. My first whale sack has whale fabric on it. And it's just some fabric I got from my grandma when I was young. And it had this clay stuff in the middle and it had this little like really ugly tail thing on it. So it could tie onto my bag. And, um, that was back when I was in Wisconsin and it's super humid in the summer. So it goes back to my first disc golf days. I made one, it was a square, it was boring, but kind of cute. And then years went by and then that's actually when the Portland worlds came to, I'm going to talk about that a lot, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Worlds came to Portland and my friend Aaron was staying with me. Uh, he was playing in the tournament. And we were just kind of chatting. I made him one that looked like a rabbit kind of by accident, just so it could tie on. And he knew I liked whales. We talked about whales all the time. We always said, oh, whale. And he just kind of looked at me and was like, well, what if it's whale shaped? And so I made one like right then and there and a couple others that look really goofy now. (laughs) And um, yeah, I only made 20 of them or something, probably that first six months or maybe four months, something like that. And then after that, they just, people kept asking for them. It was really a natural, slow progression, which, you know, I didn't get lucky because I worked hard, but at the same time, it was such a simple thing to kind of fall into my lap and then turn into a a business that keeps us completely afloat, Mm -hmm. that allows us to live our dream. So for for somebody who is like a complete disc golf noob, what is the purpose (laughs) of the whale sack? That's a great question. Um, A whale sack is a small whale-shaped baggie that's full of clay, and the tail of the whale ties onto your bag or your belt loop or... Because everybody has like a bag that they take whenever they're out golfing. Yeah, Yeah. if you're an avid disc golfer, you usually have a bag with... A bunch of discs, water, snacks, stuff like that. So um, you always have somewhere to tie onto. And so that was the idea is that you wouldn't lose it if you could tie it on. And it could be outside your bag and you could use it. So the clays, um, the clay inside absorbs moisture and gives you a little bit of dust. So especially at the professional level or even just at tournament level, um, your grip is really important for disc golf. If it's too sweaty, if it's like dewy in the morning or if it rains 
Um, if you don't have good grip on your disc because it's a slippery uh, piece of plastic, um, you can lose a lot of a lot of money that way if you're if you're not throwing it correctly because it's wet. So um, that's the point of the product is just to dry your hands. It's a really simple idea, but um, there's a few in the disc golf world that are similar, but obviously nobody else has one shaped like a whale. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know always going to be some competition. But it's a, I'd say, well-needed product in our community. Absolutely. Uh, it's been probably one of the best things for me to use, especially when it rains. Uh, I try and hype on that whenever we're selling. When I, you, know, you have to go from being a player to a salesman when uh -huh. we're setting up <laughs> events. But uh, I like putting one in my pocket, especially when it rains, and constantly be keeping my hand dry. And it's small enough that it doesn't, you know, having it in your pocket doesn't distract you. It's not super bulky like a big rosin bag would be like the baseball players use right. or anything like that so it's uh, i've i've found that it's you know i'm biased because i uh, <laughs> know the owner very well <laughs> but uh, in reality it's uh it's a product that actually i can i, I can say has helped me compete and uh perform yeah, the, and do all those things so it's the thing with the professional level is we play in any weather mm -hmm. so as a casual disc golfer you just don't play when it's raining yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't matter but um as professionals we play unless there's lightning we pretty much play no mm -hmm. matter what so uh yeah that's where it comes in so you started you started making these whale sacks and it, taking them to tournaments they're on your bag and other people just started asking about them and then kind of what happened after that at what point did you start realizing this could be a business it was probably maybe eight months after I made the first whale-shaped one before I started building the business concept. I think um, I just handed them out to friends a lot, and then um, eventually I did start charging for them, but it was just my local group in Portland. And I'd walk around with this like handmade like box that was just wrapped in whale fabric, and I'd just walk around with this little bin <laughs> I was like an idiot, I'm sure. Like thinking back to it, it was kind of funny. But once the word spread, like people post about it on on social media and we rely on that a lot for our for everything, for our um business as disc golfers but also uh with whale sacks. And so it was a lot of word of mouth, people started hearing about them, and I think a huge part of the draw is that the disc golf community really loves to support each other so the fact that i make them myself and they're handmade and they help me pay for tournaments and stuff like that that was always like the draw factor and people wanted to support that so it didn't even matter what it, what they cost they just yeah i want one i might not even use it but i'll buy it it's you know? the that's the beauty of the disc golf world as um big as we feel we are still small in it in, in our own way but we take care of each other in in every aspect of it and um People are more likely to spend money if they know that it's going to take care of somebody who's pursuing disc golf as their career. Yeah, it's really, really, really cool to see. Even you know, from our our friends who are also doing similar you know avenues and you know uh, to to make to stay afloat in the disc golf world. It's uh, just to touch on that. Just the disc golf world is phenomenal. It's yeah. a great little pocket and community that looks out for their own, which is yeah. cool. Mm. I mean, that's. 
That's some deep stuff. That's good. I mean, <laughs> I love that because it's it's very. I, I found it's very similar in. It's kind of like finding your people in some ways because mm-hmm. it's like we found that we hosted uh, a conference last year and this year for people and you know who are building their business on the road and in one of the last days somebody hosted a meetup at our conference in February and it was like people who had physical products that they were building on the road whether it was jewelry or they had a book or they took photographs or whatever and like everyone brought them to one room and everyone just literally went around and bought each other stuff and, and right. supported them and <laughs> that's that's a really cool thing because especially when the community reaches a certain point you find people who can who are in the community who are solving pain points in the community and that's when it becomes i think something really cool and meaningful yeah everybody's helping each other and makes yeah. it easier for everybody else yeah. Yeah. So what are the price points for the whale sacks? Uh, they're $10. They retail for $10. They're on my website as $10 plus shipping. And um, I do custom orders, too, that are a little bit more expensive. And frankly, I'm really busy. So I'm trying to, like, calm down on custom stuff just because it's a lot more work. But, yeah, the website has changed, I guess, twice in the last four years. This is my fourth year which seems crazy because it doesn't seem like it started that long ago. That was probably when I finally felt like I had a real business when I made my first website. (laughs) (laughs) That was a big deal. (laughs) Do you remember when your first sale came in that was just a random sell and you were just doing your thing and you got like an email notification that somebody bought one? Huge deal. It's like (laughs) I can still feel the butterflies. And even for the first year even, and I'd get – Oh, this one's from Portland. Yeah, that's understandable. And then I'd get one from Ohio, and I'd never even been to Ohio. And it was like, whoa, how does someone in Ohio know about this? And I, like every single state that I'd send one to, I'd get so giddy. <laughs> and, like just mentally had a list of states that I, you know, haven't sold to yet or whatever. I think I I remember one of the first times it was like I was playing baseball in college, and we hopped on a plane and flew somewhere, and I had a T-shirt company i so i started making t-shirts and um i just got my uh website store up and i got off the plane turned on my phone i had like a few notifications of orders that came in and i just thought about it and i was like i'm on my way to play a game and i just made money on that airplane and i had been working like Mm -hmm. in a minimum wage retail job you know and so i think there's something really meaningful that happens there because you start like for so long your dollars are attached to your hours and then all of a sudden they aren't and even though it's just yeah. the beginning you can kind of taste like this this is possible i can do this absolutely yeah even um i guess very similar moment when i was playing amateur tournaments i'd go to play and you know you're not making money at those we we get paid out in like product on the amateur side for disc golfers so I'd go, but I'd want to play well so I could at least get some product that I could turn around and sell. Like, I've always been a business person. <laughs> and so, um, you know, then I'd get a notification that says, like, oh, you know, you sold $50 in whale sacks today. And I'm like, sweet, this tournament's paid for. I can just play. And it was, like, a really nice mental, like, break because exactly that. Like, you're getting paid and you're not even working. And it's like, I mean, obviously you put in time elsewhere, but on your own schedule, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that alone is huge. I don't have to work when I don't want to. Do you have like an average amount of well sacks that you're shipping now from the RV on a monthly basis? If you don't mind sharing, I'm just curious. Um, hmm. From the website, probably, I want to say 30, 
Yeah. 30-something a month from the website. And that depends on how often we promote it. Like, we've, since, yeah, the since more we've I been very busy. Yeah, the more I post on Facebook, the more I sell. Yeah, we've, we've kind of toned it back to, so Tina can catch up, and we can focus on some of the our own real-life things, So uh, because we're in a good spot from the hard work that we've put in. But yeah. Definitely, if we wanted to, I feel like we could even push that number to 50 or 60. Oh, for sure. If and But that's not even the bulk of our sales. Like, yeah. we set up and vend quite a bit, and that's probably where most of my sales come from. And, and then, like, custom bulk orders I do, too, so those will be, like, 100 at a time. Tina's oh, wow. also in the... Uh, <laughs> She wholesales them uh, to different retailers in the disc golf world. Disc golf shops. Yeah. And there's a couple online retailers that carry whale, whale sacks. So they're they're a good customer to have because they totally. move whales constantly. But, it, I mean, you know, Tina's the same work she can get giving them a sack for a cheaper price. I mean, she could hold on to that sack, probably sell it for full value. But it's still a positive and growing the brand growing her brand and growing the product itself because now people are being able to get it everywhere and now when they really want to get a second one they're more likely to come to her website because that's what's in every package and whatnot so it's the investment is well worth it totally yeah so that makes sense so having those multiple streams you have the resellers who are working and you can show up and i guess at disc golf tournaments you can get like a booth or something and you can set up and sell them is that how it works yeah pretty much Sometimes it costs money. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's nice to know the tournament director and we get yeah. a deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would you say has been like the best tournament you guys have had as far as like selling whale sacks? Glass blown open. It's um, a dynamic disc tournament that's in Emporia, Kansas. It's- yeah, it's actually one of our disc golf sponsors, but they throw a giant tournament with 1,600 players. Wow in one town a tiny town that's across that's across (laughs) all different divisions from recreational uh and age protected divisions so 40 plus 50 plus and uh, a long way up there Uh, yeah and then rec intermediate advanced um and those have age protected stuff and then they have the professional side but really cool a great day of vending for whale sacks is usually like if i sell 15 whale sacks that's pretty good Mm. and at glass blown open the last two years, I've sold at least 85 in wow. four hours. <laughs> it's That's just awesome. chaos. <laughs> and on top but of great. that, we're selling other products as well with, yeah. like by, with discs from our manufacturer and stuff like that with our own stamps and different, and different other uh, sponsors' stamps on the discs. So that's we're kind of moving a lot of product across, across the spectrum in the sport of disc golf that helps us really stay afloat and – and I guess if anybody's looking to get into the disc golf world, because because the sport is still very small, even though it is very big, the money is not there like it is in um, a lot of other sports. But not it's, like golf, it's sure. progressively it's progressively growing to the point where we are able to. I, I'm getting more. I'm I'm able to sustain myself more from from my winnings from tournaments rather than it being almost fully based around, around um, how much Sales. product we sell mm-hmm. we sell but it's really nice because now we have a cushion and we're making we're making we're a business out of it and we are we're extending our life on the road and keeping it keeping ourselves afloat which is great that's something maybe to mention a lot of disc golfers are just getting by if you're not one of the top like top 5 top 10 players most people have like 
a very small margin that they work with every month Mm -hmm. and sometimes have to go home because they're not making money. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to do it the other way. We're actually making money and traveling for a living. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's working out, but we work really, really hard compared to a lot of golfers out there. (laughs) Yeah. So if you were kind of to do a breakdown of y'all's, I guess, the income streams that you guys have across the board. So like, what would that pie chart kind of look like as far as like what you guys are doing? So y'all have whale sacks. I know, Eric, you said you're making a bit more money from tournaments. I was creeping on your profile page and it looks like you, you did well in April. You won a tournament and it was like 1500 bucks or something. Like, that's great. Yeah. Third place at a pro tour event, which was really big. Those are one of our biggest yeah. and events to be at. Those are some of the bigger payouts. Plus, on top of that, uh, doing placing well at these tournaments opens. Uh, we have a bonus structure amongst our sponsors, uh, especially... Oh, really only right now with dynamic discs. So if I do well or I end up on uh, video coverage and things like that, I can they kick back some money there, which is awesome. So we have entry, like winnings, whale sacks, disc sales, sponsors. We have mm-hmm. some of our sponsors actually do give us money and or, and, or product uh, to, to, sell. to sell to keep us afloat, which is really great because it's just right up front, instant profit for whatever we sell it for. And if it's straight up cash, it's a uh, super bonus. Um, uh, Tina, we have Patreon uh, via yeah. all the different um, avenues that we post up on social media. Tina posts a lot of videos and whatnot. I do about three videos a month. Um, most of it's like inside our life, like what it's like to be a touring professional. So a lot of it's just goofy travels and fun stuff mm-hmm. that we get to do. And then sometimes some tutorial videos disc golf shots and stuff but then yeah we try to do some more teaching stuff too so that you know people can get a little bit of knowledge from my perspective Mm -hmm. and eric's perspective because we throw very differently and we're very different players Mm -hmm. and so yeah we started a patreon for that this year so that's kind of just uh passive income which is really nice um and that's just people that want to support us just uh subscribe and kind of donate for each video that we do since we don't get paid for them it's just like a nice little boost yeah plus we do clinics so that's all that our sponsor dynamic this will kick back for it's kind of in the same way of the bonus structure but every time we do a clinic like an in-person clinic which we have one today in uh, monterey which will be super sweet um but we get a little kickback from the company for that so anything that we're doing that's promoting the sport we can find ways to get some kickback for which is really really nice but the last thing i think would be actually running events um we run like miniature tournaments kind of we'll set up Mm -hmm. one day in any town across the united states and we can get anywhere from 15 players to 80 players that'll come out and um play our play our little events and they get paid out in merchandise so it's like a really good way for us to move our product and get whale sacks and discs into people's hands. And then that's a little, that those are probably our biggest money makers, honestly. Yeah. It sounds like you guys have an advantage in a lot of ways over people that are 
playing disc golf professionally because you're actually hustling on these other streams of business. Hustling is totally the right word. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm assuming it also gives you guys more time and kind of more runway because if you weren't making it financially work, you'd have to go get another, like a job or something. And then you'd have have even less time Mm -hmm. to, to focus on disc golf. Yeah. It's been the, the, after Jonesboro, the pro tour event that I did well at, um, shortly after that, we did a swing of, we went to one of the biggest amateur tournaments and then we went to a store opening and then, uh, shifted into the glass blown open. And that stretch was very stressful on us physically and mentally, but at the same time, financially, it was one of the more like, prosperous, uh, time periods we've ever had mm-hmm. on tour. So what, what that does for us is that gives us that, that, comfort that Mm -hmm. that longevity that we feel good if something happens we have you know we have a cushion we have money to take care of something happens on the rv or whatever you know we we can open the doors of like all right yeah let's go stay at this really nice campsite (laughs) it's just pay for it and not worry about it to not have to worry about whether or not we can tour next month or anything like that that's not even in the question we'll just work really hard to make sure that we can. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, do you guys have other disc golfer friends who are like, come to you guys for advice because you have all these other kind of side things going on and they're asking you questions on like, you know, how do I start my own side hustle? I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually. Um, pretty often I've, I've tried to be pretty transparent and as helpful with any of that as possible. Cause it really did completely change my life being able to, have a disc golf related business so that I can stay in disc golf forever. Yeah. Um, so we get questions about that a lot, but also, or probably more often, uh, how do I get an RV and start doing what you guys are doing? Which is cool. I love talking about that stuff. So it's, uh, it's nice to be able to kind of be a reference of information for people. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're pretty, like I said, transparent about ask us anything about anything, how to travel, <laughs> how to, how to pay off your debt, whatever you want to know, we'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, which is good. Cause I'm interviewing you. So I'm asking like all these questions. So think looking at y'all's travel schedule, how do you guys plan your travel schedule? How does that work? Do you plan around big tournaments and, and, and how is that balanced between working on whale sacks and all your partnered relationships and putting on clinics? So how do you guys Alyssa and I will do like anchor points. So we'll say like, okay, we know we're going to be at this place for this time because we have a client there, et cetera. So how does that work for you guys? It's busy. (laughs) The the disc golf tour, you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do. Um, But they like release a schedule at the beginning of the year that shows the biggest tiered events. So like the biggest tiered, meaning the most money. And so the most worth it for us to go and compete at. Um, compete and, or and set bend up that. and bend. So, yeah. yeah, I look at the schedule. I, I do more of this the scheduling because Tina's focusing on uh, working on whale sacks, and the way I look at it is I you know see um, where we're going to be and then where we would drive through. So if it makes sense between you know when we were uh, when we were in Waco, Texas, and then going to drive to Kansas City. It's like, all right, cool. We might be able to do an event in Dallas, Fort Worth, or in Oklahoma City, or something like that. And I'll start uh, reaching out to different clubs uh, in the areas and seeing if uh, you know what days work and what makes what makes sense as far as 
getting us there, setting up an event and offering uh, a cool experience for disc golfers, which is really nice. But for the most part, we stick to follow around the bigger tour events, which is really nice because it's great exposure. But at the same time, week in, week out, we're playing against the best players in the world. And some of the weeks it it weighs on you a little bit because, man, there are some great players. And, you know, but at the same time, we are we can both compete with those great players at, at any time. Um, so just, but we have if we want to make the good the big money, we have to be doing it. But and yeah. the the downside of doing it the way we are doing it, I'm more of a travel enthusiast. Eric's mm-hmm. more of a disc golf enthusiast, and yeah. I love disc golf. But if I could have it my way, we'd stay in Santa Cruz for two months. Yeah, <laughs> but. We don't get to do that. We're it's, gonna try and do that this next this off season. Yeah, we get nice. we yeah. get one week, essentially in in a place, and then we go on to the next one. So it's usually a week, and then Monday is a travel day. Hopefully, the next tournament's close enough that only Monday is your travel day, uh-huh. and then start practicing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Tournament starts Friday, and then you, you do it all over team. again. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of the time uh, when I'm driving, Tina is actually putting in a lot of work on getting whale sex done, the things that she can do while we're driving. Yeah. Um, and then when we've stopped after we've done, we're done practicing, Tina's, Tina is one of the most hardworking people <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life because she'll be up at 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., get up, start working. And then I sleep till forever. You know, I could sleep forever if I wanted to. It should be great. <laughs> but she gets up does some work and then we go do stuff and then when we're done she comes back and does more work and she just doesn't she doesn't have the ability to stop somebody's gotta make the money (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's really good because in in all these in-between times tina's finding a way to keep her business flourishing and uh and going which is uh it's it's awesome because i mean i I don't necessarily directly benefit from it but she gets to be able to sustain herself completely on the road which is you know which is great. So then we can keep working together to make awesome things happen. I love that. And by the way, if you're hearing uh, something that sounds like rain, that is rain. <laughs> I was wondering. It <laughs> yeah, I've been, like I've been, a I've been ago. muting them. Yeah, I turned down my gain, so hopefully it's not as loud now. But um, oh, I fun. knew there was a cha- there's like a forty percent chance of rain. I was like, oh, I hope I get through the podcast. But whatever, it happens. <laughs> um, it's ambiance. Yeah, it's ambiance <laughs> in the background. No, that I mean that's really cool. Do you find it's ever a struggle? Like, do you ever get tired? I find like if you're moving too quickly and also trying to get things done, I because I guess we're thinking about this more right now as we're traveling in New Zealand. Like our schedule has been kind of crazy because we want to go everywhere and see and do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But for you guys, do you ever feel like if you just stayed in one place, you could just focus and go all in and put your head down on on whale sacks, or do you like the blend and and balance that you have now? Um, I'd say that's actually probably the root of most of our arguments because I would much rather be in one place for a longer period of time. I get a little stir crazy after like three weeks, four weeks, but a week at a time kind of makes me crazy. (laughs) I just, I do have a lot of work to do. And even with one travel day in there, it really does, you know, mess up a lot of stuff. And then we have to drive to the course every day and I'm not around internet except like twice a week, which when it comes to uploading videos, like throws my schedule off too. And so because I'm running a full on business, I have a lot more stuff that comes into play that needs to be done in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. And 
no offense to Eric, but he literally just plays disc golf all the time. <laughs> and it's good because that's what he's good at and that's how he makes his money. But it's just such a different type of lifestyle or different type of job, even though I'm also playing disc golf, but it's just, it's just different. My focus is to make money, grow my business, be a good customer service. You know, all of that stuff is really important to me. And disc golf is kind of on the side. I'm just glad I get to be out and playing. And yeah. so for Eric, it's like, well, this is how I make my money. So I have to go practice every day. Yeah. And I have to go to every tournament every weekend. <laughs> it's a way to stay afloat. Yeah. And uh, this past, the when I talked about the GBO that week that we did really well, it was a lot of travel over a short period of time. And there were there were almost no days off, not even a day to just relax and maybe go play a casual round or go get a massage or something like that. We had a nine-hour drive overnight that we had to do within 12 hours of the end of the last event. It was insane. It was <laughs> it was poorly managed on my side, but whenever I originally agreed upon it, I was like, that shouldn't be a problem. And uh, hindsight is twenty twenty always. So. <laughs> We're learning still. <laughs> yeah, but it, it ended up being very profitable and very beneficial as a... Um, just exhausting. As, as a, as uh, you know, growing, growing our brand, growing yeah. us, growing the sport, and doing all those things. So it ended up being good, but it definitely was uh, grueling. Very, yeah, very taxing on on our on both of our bodies and our uh, mental fatigue, and was definitely setting in. So it's a a lesson learned for sure. But you know, we will avoid situations like that going forward into next year and the rest of this year that we don't let ourselves like you said get get overrun because yeah it makes it sounds great on paper and everything but what it's going to do to you physically is you know, you're not going to be your normal self and uh we need to be we need to be us to make uh to make the most of it what i guess my follow-up to that would be what keeps you guys on the road you know like if if it is kind of hitting exhaustion at certain points like why not just you know, road trip in a car and have a home base or fly kind of thing. Like, um, is it, is it out of like logistics? Is it because you enjoy the RV? Like, what is it that's kind of keeping you guys moving around in the RV instead of doing it some other way? Um, I think we've gotten a lot better at managing what it needs to look like for both of us. Mm -hmm. And I've got this awesome friend Paige that would rather go see waterfalls than practice this golf too. So, <laughs> um, lately, uh, since the end of last year, I've kind of split off with her every once in a while and go do my adventure stuff while Eric's practicing. So then it's a good compromise. I still get to explore a lot more. I get to travel a lot more like big Sur, I wasn't with Eric at all. We went and explored this amazing part of California and Eric was off playing the tournament that I didn't want to play. So it worked out really, really well. I wasn't forced to do anything I didn't want to do. Yeah. And we're just making more and more compromises like that. But all in all, I don't know if it's I, always worth it. Yeah. I don't know if we would necessarily want to have a home base. I think that's one of the best parts about appreciating the RV and appreciating what we have because this is this is home. This is this is this is it. And when we're out traveling you know, when you, you know, you're done with a round or you're done with an event or home, you know, rather than if we were traveling around in a car, if, you know, we're staying in a hotel, staying at somebody else's house on somebody else's time on that stuff, we can kind of set our own pace and do it. And um, I think it's a, a big reason why we enjoy it so much. And staying on the road 
in general, we do it a lot for the people that we've met and the people that we get to see in these different, you know, it's like different family members, even though they're just disc golf family. But it's like, man, I can't wait to go to can't wait to get back to Texas to see the Olivas. I can't wait to be here to see, you know, the Kansas City to see the Pattersons. Like, uh, like all, all, all these different people that we've met along the way. But make even it then, worth it. the people that we're traveling with, like, we're all on the same circuit. We're all mm-hmm. playing the same tour stops. So we see the same people every single weekend. Mm-hmm. It's like the biggest road trip with friends yeah. you could ever imagine. Yeah. <laughs> We just see our friends in a different city to hang out in every single week. It's it's really fun. I don't really consider not being in the RV. Even when I think about, quote unquote, having a home base, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's like a nice RV park by the water. <laughs> but that's, uh, I don't know, we're just kind of embracing it. And that's just who we are at this point. Mm-hmm. I love that. And last question for you guys is y'all are bouncing around building well sacks, going to all of these disc golf tournaments and hanging out with friends. Like what does success look like for both of you guys individually? You start. I don't know. Success for me is as cliche and things as it may be is just honestly is learning and growing from all the different experiences from each tournament, from each event and, you know, taking something from it. And uh, becoming a a better golfer, a better person, a better whatever I I can, I can better myself in. And every time I find a way to do that, even in uh, the tournaments that don't seem to go my way, is always trying to find a way to learn and grow. So that's been probably my high points on. And uh, Tina's helped a lot with my overall growth in finances. And uh, I'm pretty bad about it. But. Uh, overall growth and finances and and just and honestly becoming a uh, a happier person in general and i uh i pride myself on being as happy as i possibly can be uh-huh. and um and honestly the whole <laughs> biggest accomplishment from all of this is the fact that i found a way to you know find the person i'm gonna spend the rest of my life with and that those successes honestly have led to be being able to you know buy a ring and you know ask her to marry me and and i don't know that those are the those are the i guess the biggest takeaways from all that we've done and i know that there's going to be cool great experiences going forward and i just want to keep learning and growing so it's great good answer how am i supposed (laughs) to follow that (laughs) (laughs) for me i guess it's really just as simple as we just talked about just um i want to be financial financially sound and not be worried about if the RV breaks down, can I even afford it? I don't, I don't want to have those kind of things dragging me down every day. And I used to live that life. So I want to be financially stable and be able to travel and not work a corporate job ever again. (laughs) Those are my, my goals in life, I guess, are really just not to worry about finances and stay on the road and travel and explore. Both really great and awesome goals. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time and being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Where's a good place for people to follow y'all's adventures and connect with you guys online? We're on YouTube on the whale pants. It's just under whale pants on YouTube. We've Mm -hmm. got all of our vlogs and uh, fun adventures there. And then we're also on Facebook. Uh, 
uh, Facebook at Whale Pants and or our individual pages, Tina Sinaitis or Eric Oakley, and I have a fan page. We have Whale Pants DG, which is whalepantsdg.com, which is a small uh, avenue that we've been exploring into doing a little bit more work there. But so that's a good place to find it. And of course, whalesax.com if you mm-hmm. guys are interested in the products. Uh, we didn't even mention that we were whale pants, did we? No. I'm the whale, he's the pants. Yeah. That seems kind of self explanatory. And, uh, yeah, our Instagrams are a great place. Uh, so mine's at the Eric Oakley. Tina's is TK Oakley Seven. But yeah. also, yes. I have um, I started one just for my adventure bug, and it's uh, Little Home Big Adventure. Uh, so that's like all my travel RV photos. It's usually just pretty stuff. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. I love. I'll link up to all those in the show notes uh, so people can go check them out. Thank you all again you so much man, for dude. being on the Thanks, podcast. <laughs> Yeah, say, say hi to Alyssa for us. Will do. <laughs> hey, guys. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Eric and Tina. hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, make sure to go give them a shout-out on Instagram and hit up Whale Sacks if you're a disc golfer. Go buy one. Support an RVer. <laughs> they're, they're pretty cool. So they tie on directly to your bag, as they said. And uh, I'm just amateur disc golfer hour, so I don't think I get out and get crazy enough to really have to need a Whale Sack. But I might just get one because it sounds cool. I can just say that I've, I'm carrying around my Whale Sack. Anyway, I'm going to quit rambling. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast, and I'll see you all next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. <laughs>